I have a couple goals for this message this morning. Just two. So if we can handle that. One is that we will be a more intentionally welcoming, accepting people of one another. And um, hey, I think we're, we already do that pretty well. So it's just a reminder and a refresher. And may we even be more effective in that way. And a second goal is that we will be a church that abounds in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to pray and ask God to do that for us. Join me. Father, would you work in our hearts your word? As you have welcomed us in Christ, may we welcome one another. And as you are a God of hope, may you fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. In Christ I pray. Amen. So I'm going to read the text. We're still working our way through Romans, and we're getting close to the end. In chapter 15, verses 7 through 13 is where we're at today. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again it is said, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, the root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. So therefore, takes us back to what he's talked about before and where he's been ever since the beginning of chapter 14. He's on this big teaching about... um, being kind to one another, uh, exhorting the church in Rome to live in harmony together by not judging and despising one another over matters not required or prohibited in Scripture. In other words, not judging one another over matters that are not essential to the gospel. And he talks about two groups in the church, of the, the weak in faith and the strong in faith. And the, the strong in faith were those who got the, they had gospel freedom. They were not bound by the Old Testament food laws and Holy Days laws. And they were free to not do those things anymore. Christ had fulfilled what the food laws were for. And there were the weak in faith who um, recognized that salvation comes only through Christ, but they didn't feel the freedom in their conscience to not practice the Old Testament food laws. They had grown up with them. Most of them were Jewish Christians, Christians who had come out of a Jewish background. And they, they just in their conscience, because they had done this all their lives, they couldn't accept that they, they were free to eat all all foods, all meats. So that's what this potential controversy is that Paul is addressing. And so Paul says, therefore, and where we were at the beginning of chapter 15 last week, therefore, since we are not to please ourselves, but to please our brothers and sisters in Christ for their good, because the God of endurance and encouragement can grant us to live in harmony together in Christ, that we may glorify God together with one voice, That's where he was last week. Therefore, we should welcome one another 
We should accept one another as Christ welcomed us and accepted us. We're not just to tolerate one another, not just to put up with one another, not just to um, endure being together for an hour or two. That may be a challenge for some of us. But we are to welcome one another. We are to accept one another as Christ has welcomed us. So the question is, how has Christ welcomed us? How has he accepted us? Well, Christ did what was good for us even when we did what was terrible to him. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us to absorb God's judgment against our sins that were due to us so that we could be accepted by God. He, uh, he went outside of his comfort zone in a huge way. And he laid aside his privileges so that we could be accepted into God's family. So the strong in faith and the weak in faith were to welcome and accept one another as fellow members of God's family, as Christ has accepted them, with their different convictions about matters that were not essential to the gospel, matters that were not prohibited or required in Scripture. They were just to um, embrace one another regardless of their different convictions concerning things that were not prohibited or required in Scripture. And we welcome one another for the glory of God. That's what he says is the motivation. We welcome, we accept one another for God's glory, as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. God in his great goodness is glorified when we welcome and accept one another for Christ's sake. That's because we are saying we value what Christ has done for us in saving us more than we value the things that we differ on more than we value the issues that would keep us from accepting one another. So the the differences, again, that existed in the Roman church were mainly between Christians of Jewish background and Gentile believers. It's kind of interesting. If you you are aware of what's going on in the Middle East ever since biblical times through now, it's always been a a hotbed of, of, of fighting. And I read an article about how a group of Palestinian Christians and Messianic Jews met to begin to work out the differences that divide them. Now, if you, if you are keeping up with that at all, you, you couldn't have a more divided group, more with potential hostilities toward one another, but more divided than the Palestinians and the, and the Jews. But there are Christians who have come out of both of those backgrounds. They met for four days, and they drafted a statement of unity. The statement recognizes we hold very different theological positions regarding the land, and also very different perspectives on the causes of the social, political, and economic realities that impact the daily life of all who inhabit the land. So there's a big battle over the land. While the Messianic Jews see the state of Israel as a sign of God's faithfulness, the Palestinian Jews see it as a catastrophe. So just a little bit of disagreement there. God's faithfulness versus catastrophe. While Jews believe that that Israel needs to maintain control over neighboring territories to secure itself, Palestinians see occupation as illegal and unjust. So we've got a right to protect the land. It's illegal for you to protect the land. They say we intend to listen more carefully to one another so as to understand deeply even when we disagree 
they said in the statement, even though we are convinced of our own positions and wish to continue to dialogue and challenge one another, we will not require others to change their position and accept ours as a precondition of our fellowship. So they're going to strive for fellowship without requiring that they agree on the hotbed issue of the land. We may not have the severe differences that the Christians in Israel and Palestine do. I don't think we do. But we still need to work at welcoming and accepting one another. So, welcome one another when you're here on Sunday. Good time as any. During the greeting time, welcome one another. You can check it off your list. Hey, I welcomed somebody this week. Welcome one another and invite them to lunch or dinner or coffee or to your community group. Accept one another even though you have different perspectives, different convictions for the glory of God. You might even try that in your marriage. It's kind of fun. And then in verse 8, Paul explains how Christ accepted the Jew and Gentile for the glory of God. He says, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcision, or to the circumcised, to the Jews in other words, to show God's truthfulness. And then he says there's two ways he's done that. And one he lists in verse 8. In order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. So, God, uh, Christ became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from whom came the nation of Israel. Therefore, Gentile Christians should accept their Jewish brothers in Christ since the promise of salvation was made to Abraham and his descendants and came to the Gentiles through the Jews first. So it first shows up in Genesis chapter 12 where, where God promised to Abraham, Abram at that time, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And in you, and he says later, as he reiterates this promise several times, in you and in your descendants, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. In fact, he goes on and says that's the second reason that Christ became a servant to the, to the Jews. Christ became a servant to the Jews to show God's truthfulness, so that the Gentiles, this is in verse 9, so that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. So this is why God confirmed the truth to the Jews, that the Gentiles would, would glorify God for his mercy. Paul made it really clear in chapter 11 of Romans that the fact that God was saving Gentiles didn't mean he was done with the Jews. Gentiles are not to be arrogant against the Jews, but to be grateful that God has had mercy on us to include us in the fulfillment of of his promises to the Jews. So 2,000 years later, we kind of take it for granted that we Gentiles get get in on the promises God made to the Jews, but we shouldn't. It's only by God's mercy. Because God confirmed his promises to the Jews and his mercy on the Gentiles, we should welcome one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God. Now, Paul wants to show from the scriptures that God's purpose has always been to include the Gentiles with the Jews in his saving mercy. So he, he 
lists four scripture texts from the Old Testament. He quotes four Old Testament scriptures, one from the Psalms, one from the Law, and two from the Prophets. One from the Prophets, two from the Psalms. The first one is, is there, the latter part of verse 9 in Romans, and it's quoting from Psalm 18:49. And in this, David praises God for delivering him and giving him victory over his enemies. And that's what Paul quotes here. As it is written, therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. So Christ, the promised son of David, fulfills David's victory over the Gentile enemies at that time by saving some of us Gentiles into his kingdom. Like he says in Romans 5.10, For if while we were enemies, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. So that's one scripture that Paul has cited to show that the Gentiles are included with, with the Jews in, in glorifying God. The second one is in verse 10 of Romans 15, which says, And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. This is quoted from Deuteronomy 32.43. It comes at the end of the Song of Moses. And in the Song of Moses, uh, Moses prophesied that Israel would disobey God, which, if you know their history, they did quite a bit. And that God would bring judgment and discipline upon them. So the song was not popular on iTunes and did not win a Grammy. But God promised he would cleanse their hearts the hearts of his people, the Jews, and they would turn to him again. In fulfilling his redemptive plan for Israel, he would also bless the Gentiles who would rejoice with his people Israel. Third scripture he, he quotes is in verse 11 of Romans 15. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. This quotes from Psalm 117.1. This psalm was a call to the nations to praise God for his great steadfast love and faithfulness. Now, already, many Gentiles are doing it because we're doing it this morning. We're praising God for his faithfulness and his, his steadfast love. But not yet are all the nations, all peoples, praising God. So it's still yet to be fulfilled. And we get a sneak peek of that in, in Revelation 7 where John writes, Behold, a great multitude that no one could number, massive numbers of, of people, from all tribes, peoples, and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, that's Jesus, the Lamb of God, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God and to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So it's coming. God is about raising up people from all people groups, all nations, all tribes, all languages to praise his name. And then the final Quote of Paul from the Old Testament is in verse 12. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. So this is from Isaiah chapter 11. And Jesse was the father of David, King David. Isaiah prophesied that a branch from the root of Jesse would come forth and bear fruit. So what Isaiah was prophesying is as David's um, descendants got more and more corrupt, it seemed very unlikely that the Messiah was going to come through David's line, even though God had promised, through your descendants, I'm going to raise up an anointed one, a king, a savior king. And it was looking pretty bad for the line of David. But God promised he would raise up a new David from Jesse's root, who would rise up to rule the Gentiles, who would seek him and who would 
um, find put their hope in him. That new David, of course, is, is Jesus. We know that what we do together on Sunday mornings is not all there is to living out our faith. And that, of course, is true. Yet coming together to praise God, to sing to his great name, to rejoice in him and extol him is at the heart of expressing our hope in God. It fuels our passion for his glory until we gather again. Because the scriptures lay out that God's plan and design is that he's going to raise up people who are going to praise him from all peoples. And so we get to do that. Rejoicing in him, praising him, exalting him, extolling him, declaring his greatness, putting our hope in him. So we are to make much of God together and hope in him and to be glorifying God while we still live in a broken world with broken bodies is a challenge. And in order to do that, we've got to be a people who abound in hope, which is Paul's focus in verse 13. And so I hope you get to like verse 13 because I'm going to repeat it over and over and over. And that reads, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Hope is vital for living in the reality of what God has for us when his plan of salvation for us is completely fulfilled. We need to have a real robust hope to live out the Christian life. In fact, hope is so central to what God has promised and provided for us in Christ that Paul calls him the God of hope. He is the God of hope. Paul has talked about hope earlier, so we don't have to wonder what he means. He talks about it in in chapter 5 of Romans. What, what Paul doesn't mean by hope is just a wish that things will work out for good, but we don't know whether they will or, or won't. We, we say, every day you say something, I hope so. So is he going to finish this message soon? And you say, I hope so. Are we going to have a good lunch today? For uh, I hope so. Is the food going to be good for snacks today? I hope so. That's not, not the, the word of hope that he's referring to. So in Romans chapter 5, I've got verse 2 to 5 on the screen, I think. I should have included one, so I'll read you one. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then that picks up in verse 2. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So through, through faith in Christ we have peace, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, which, which means our hope of future glory, that we're going to be perfected. We're going to be sin-free one day. We're going to be completely conformed to Christ. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So just as Paul is saying in verse 13 of chapter 15, which we'll go back to that slide now. Um, He says that through faith, God gives peace and joy with which the Spirit empowers us with hope, which enables us to endure suffering. He talks about that in in Romans 8 as well. And I'll just highlight what he says in Romans 8, verses 18 to 25. Paul talks about how the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. 
So we can't compare the sufferings that we're going through now with the glory that's to come. It doesn't compare. Because of our sure hope of a new creation, a perfect creation, and perfect immortal bodies, new bodies. So we get new bodies, we get a new world. And, and that's, that's our solid hope. So know that the God of hope, the hope that, that, that God gives us is not some vague, uncertain, indefinable wish. It is sure, glorious future reality for present joy and peace. But if you're like me, my heart often isn't energized by the reality of this hope. I struggle to just to have this hope like just flaming alive in me like it deserves to be. So how can God how can hope in God grip and fill our hearts as a living reality? Well, first of all, we, we know that God is the God of hope. He delights in giving us hope. He delights to empower us with heart-engaging hope. Secondly, God does this by filling filling you with all joy and peace. God wants to fill you with joy and peace. Not just a little bit, but all, like lots. God fills you with all joy and peace in believing. Okay, believing what? Well, first, make sure that you are believing in Christ as your Lord and Savior. It's not a generic promise for everybody. That means that you are trusting in him alone to save you from your sins and give you eternal life through his death and resurrection. And if you are trusting Christ that way, then then you keep believing that God is for you in Christ as he has promised in the scriptures. No matter what you're going through, God is for you. And you keep believing that he wants you to have joy and peace and that he will give you joy and peace as he has promised in the scriptures, no matter what you're going through. You believe God is good, just, merciful, as revealed in the scriptures, no matter what you're going through. The God of hope fills you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. As we believe God, as we trust in Jesus, God fills us with all joy and peace, not just a small bit like I get at restaurants. It's a running joke in our family like I'll order something and they get microscopically measured out on the plate and then others order something and they get them Heap, heaped on. So that's how I keep this girlish figure. God fills us with all joy and peace in believing, with the purpose or the result that we may abound in hope. We may overflow with hope. So God creates the hard environment, the hard condition for abundant hope in us by filling us with all joy and peace as we believe in Him and His promises. And he fuels and energizes and grows hope in us by the power of the Holy Spirit. So these graces are not naturally produced. They aren't the result of the power of positive thinking or positive self-talk. God fills us with joy and peace. The Holy Spirit produces overflowing hope. 
So, question. Are you experiencing it? Are you overflowing with hope this morning? I could use some help in that. I'm challenged with Parkinson's to deal with having joy and peace and having hope. So I need this text. I need this to be a living power in my life. Some of you are overflowing with hope. Others of you, not so much. That's why Paul prays this for the Roman church and why we need to pray for our church family. He's not calling us to put on fake smiles and pretend everything is okay when we're not. Being filled with joy and peace and abounding in hope is best pursued together. So we we need one another to encourage one another in this. This is why Paul is so concerned about unity and harmony in the church that they don't let their differences concerning foods and holy days and especially um, not a, that are not essential to the gospel truths to keep them from glorifying God together by welcoming and accepting one another. Churches are previews, they're, they're sneak peeks at the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is, is not here in full yet. But churches are little outposts, little like little imperfect models of, of, of God's kingdom. Because what Paul says in Romans 14, 17 is the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, although the food will be great there. But it's not a matter of eating and drinking like that makes you better or worse spiritually but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's big on peace and joy in the Holy Spirit being the expression of God's kingdom. When the kingdom of God is here in full, there will be no more need for hope because we'll have what we hope for. Because we will have received what we have hoped for. Sin-free, sorrow-free, suffering-free, Sickness-free, death-free, commercial-free, tax-free, dwelling together with Jesus and his people in perfect peace and ever-expanding joy. But for the present, we still have sin, sorrow, suffering, shame, sickness, and death, so we need spirit-empowered hope. And spirit-empowered hope abounds where God fills us with all joy and peace and believing. So encourage one another. Encourage one another in faith because that's the entryway to receiving all this. It is through faith that God fills us with joy and peace. Let's share how God has been faithful as well as what our struggles and burdens are. This is not always easy to do. That's why we need to welcome and accept one another as Christ has welcomed us for the glory of God so we can encourage one another in believing. Let's pray for one another that God will strengthen our faith so that he may fill us with all joy and peace in believing, that we may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, as I pray, I'm going to pray that God will 
give us a rich time of, of communion together around the, the Lord's table. We have that available here, cup and bread. And the Lord welcomes you to his table. He welcomes you to take of his, his body and his blood, symbols of his body and blood, a symbol of the life that we derive from him through faith because of his perfect obedience in his body and his death shedding his blood for us. We remember that whenever we take the Lord's Supper together. So he welcomes you to this table. If you have not yet placed your trust in Christ and, and are trusting in him to save you through his death and resurrection, then um, you don't want to say that you believe that by taking the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper, the communion meal. But if you realize that that's a good thing to trust God for because Christ did die for your sins and he rose again and he's abundantly available through the Holy Spirit to give you eternal life, then you can trust him in, in him right now and have your first meal around the Lord's table. So let's pray. Father, thank you that through Christ you have welcomed us into your kingdom. You've welcomed us into the forgiveness of sins. You've welcomed us into everlasting life. You've welcomed us into a relationship with you that we'll enjoy forever. And until Christ returns and we still battle with sin, sickness, and death, and sorrow, and, and grief, and shame, and guilt, we need the reminders of what Christ has done for us, that you are for us, that you are a God of hope, and Christ has purchased for us joy and peace in the Holy Spirit by which we can abound in hope. I pray, Father, for those who might consider themselves hopeless or in a hopeless situation, where whatever it is in relationships and physical struggles and sin struggles and whatever they're facing, that you would just gift them, grace them with all kinds of joy and peace and cause us as a church to abound in hope, to overflow with hope in Christ for your glory as we welcome and accept one another in him. Do this text, Father, in our church. By your grace in Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen.